Welcome to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I am your host, Joy Vatrebeck, and this is my co-host, Mark Renahan. How are you doing, Joy? I'm doing good. How are you, Mark? I am excellent today. Great. We are starting a four-part series today on uh, Cuba from the 1950s to the present. And we will have with us today Dr. Fred Valdez, and we'll hear his experiences from childhood in Cuba, and then how much he appreciates the freedoms here in the U.S. Yeah, absolutely. So before we introduce Dr. Uh, Valdez, uh, we have again decided to do four-part series, and this is our series on Cuba. Now, myself, um, I am really fascinated with people growing up in different mm -hmm. cultures in different mm -hmm. countries, and especially a lot of people don't know the entire story of Cuba. Thankfully, yes. the good doctor is here today to tell us about his time and how life was in Cuba prior to the Castros and the communism regime taking over, how his life was then until when they did take over, and things that happened from there. So, doctor, are you with us? I'm with you. All right, sir. Thank you for joining us. So I, I want to just jump right in. I know we spoke briefly on the phone, but maybe you could give us just a little brief biography of what life was like. Uh, I know, I think I believe it was San Juan was the small town that you grew up in in Cuba. What it was yeah. like um, from before the Castros took over and the communism regime and after and, and your experience in getting to America. Well, you know, first of all, uh, I appreciate being here. You guys are doing a great job, and it's a really great opportunity to, to expand on this, this knowledge a little bit. Uh, my experience uh, is not unique, uh, and uh, I think we, we spoke about that on the phone. Uh, my, my experience uh, is the same or similar to thousands and thousands and thousands of kids. Uh, I was uh, born in the Santa Clara, this is the center of the island, but I lived in a small town, a uh, small town maybe, uh, I don't think it was more than 2,000 people, and it was no different than a small town in USA, you know, it was a town where everybody knew everybody, uh, nobody liked the, the doors, uh, uh, you know, all the dreams, uh, I used to go fishing, my, my dad was a landowner, we had a couple of farms, uh, we were not wealthy, 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 but we, we were fine. You know, there were mid-sized uh, farms, uh, cattle farms and, uh, and sugarcane uh, plantations and so on. And it was one of those childhoods that, uh, you know, in the summer you go fishing with your friends uh, to the river and you go swimming in the river uh, and uh, you go hunting and doing all kinds of things, riding my bicycle through town and so on. Uh, and then what's amazing is that the changes uh, that Castro brought to the island became pretty much overnight. And it's one of the things that I, that, that's impacting in this, this whole uh, story about Cuba. Uh, nobody expected it. And those who, who saw it, uh, we, we spoke about this before. I remember clearly the, the intelligentsia, you know, the, the professionals, the doctors, the, the, the attorneys, the lawyers, the educated people. They are the ones who said, no, 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 this will not last year. This will not happen. Uh, this will, will not last, period. This will never happen here. And of course, we're talking 60 some years ago, 63 years ago already. Uh, and uh, as far as, you know, to appreciate the story, quote unquote, you have to have a perspective of what, what was Cuba before and what it is now. We fall sometimes, and I understand that perfectly. We fall into the trap of. Uh... Nope. Did we lose him? No, he's there. Go ahead. Okay. Nope. 
Doc, you there? Doctor? Some years back, I checked into the uh, the United Nations uh, stats about Cuba in 1958. And, and that's what I use, you know, when, when I have discussions and talks about Cuba. Uh, you know, the largest, huge percentage of doctor-patient ratio, if you want to go into medicine, Cuba was, uh, I don't know if you know this, the originator of the HMOs. <laughs> The HMOs originated in Cuba in the 1950s, where they had the bus and picked up people at home and took them to the clinics and so on. And there were private clinics that were very expensive, but there was also public clinics. And what's interesting is that the top main doctors who, who had private practices and worked in private hospitals actually went to the public clinics and provided services and so on. So, uh, so you can go on and on. I, mean, we could, I don't want to waste a lot of time here on that, but it was at a point where, uh, you know, for example, uh, six uh, airports in an island that, that's fairly small. At the time, it was only five and a half million people or so, six million people. And it had six airports, two major ones, one in Havana, one in Oriente province. Uh, and there were major airports. There was one in Santa Clara, uh, and there were international airports, and there were two or three smaller airports. So, and, and this is uh, this is in 1958, folks. So we're talking a, a small country, small island in 1958. Uh, the Cuban dollar. There were times in the 50s that was uh, higher uh, than the the Cuban peso was actually higher than the dollar a couple of times in the 50s. Wow. So, so the value of the money was was incredible. Uh, the banking system was. So, it, it, there were, I'm not going to idealize and say it was it was paradise. Of course, there were things that were wrong. Of course, there were things that were mistakes, and of course, there were abuses by previous governments and so on. But, but uh, all things considered, when you look at it, uh, a large middle class, a thriving economy, freedom uh, to travel, freedom to own businesses. Uh, it had uh, TV stations were pretty much close to the United States, you know, because the proximity to the states, number one, and number two, the, uh, the Cuba always had a, uh, a relationship with the states. You know, p uh, American things in, when I was a kid in Cuba were revered. Anything American was revered, okay? Uh, if it's American, it's great. Uh, and also, of course, the United States had a lot of businesses in Cuba, uh, and industry and uh, sugarcane mills. Uh, I remember visiting as a kid a sugarcane mill, and it was an American. Doctor, are you there? Give it a second. Come right back. Okay. Doc, you there? That's a point that. One of the reasons why I wrote the, you know, my last book, uh, to contrast that point. Yeah, Doc, it sounds like a lot like um, Havana, Cuba in general, prior to the Castro's, was very similar to the United States. Mm -hmm. Can you hear us, Doc? Doc, can you hear me? I can hear you perfectly. Okay, perfect. sorry. You were uh, it sounds to me like one of the, uh, the, the Havana, I mean, Cuba in general, prior to the Castro's, was almost the exact same as the United States. I mean, you had freedom... You know, like Travel. you said, you, you were traveling wherever you wanted to go, and then exactly. and then things American unfortunately changed, correct? Exactly, exactly. You know, people visited Miami. There was a ferry, uh, Havana-Miami ferry, that people on weekends just go to Miami and go to Miami on a ferry. Mm -hmm. Now, were the poor people? Of course they were, like everywhere else. 
but all things considered in Latin countries at that time, uh, it was really on top. Uh, I mean, I'm talking the, the stores, the movie houses, uh, you know, the, take my small town, my, the small town San Juan de los Hieros, you know, it was, it was a, a small town, like I said, that town had a, a nice movie house, it had three, three pharmacies, it had two uh, gas, gas stations for gas pumps, you could get gas, had a, a private uh, taxi service, had a central park, and had a, uh, on the park, uh, had a, a gazebo where they had a local uh, band, music band that played on weekends, uh, and had another small park uh, for kids with swings and stuff like that. Uh, and, every, you know, it, was, it, it had stores uh, it, it, where people shop, and on weekends, people would come from, from the country and attend the social events in the town, uh, the carnival, uh, had carnivals, you know, like a Mardi Gras type thing that was great. So the, the memories from that town uh, are incredible. And, and there were so many towns in Cuba that were like that. Uh, so that, that's a contrast that what was then and what it became. And pretty much overnight, uh, when Castro took over, uh, the division started. You know, the, the, the people got divided. Those who... Uh, favor the revolution, quote unquote, and those who even question the narrative, those who question the quote unquote revolution were pariah. They were enemies of the state, basically. And that started des destroying the country. The country was destroyed. And, and uh, it's not my words, it's not a political opinion. This has nothing to do with politics, really, it doesn't. It has to do with a system that is not only corrupt, uh, but that was sold to the people as the salvation <laughs> of, of Cuba. And Doctor, was were there a lot of people in your town that supported the revolution or no? Initially, yes. Initially, there were people who supported it. And then there was another group that didn't support it, but they, they said, don't worry, this is not going to last. And, and even, even after the Cubans came to Miami, okay, the, the first wave, uh, I remember nobody uh, opened the suitcases. They lift up suitcases for, for months because uh, the, the phrase was, don't even bother opening the suitcase. We're going to be back in two or three months. That, that's not going to last. Communism will never last in Cuba. These are yeah. the educated people you were talking about earlier. I'm talking about the educated people. You know, and Cuban immigration is very unique, uh, especially the first wave of immigrants that came to Miami because they didn't come for economic reasons. No, no. They came f looking for freedom. They came, they came to escape the uh, totalitarian system. Uh, so they were the doctors. They were business people. Uh, started with the very rich, obviously, but it, it, then it came down to the, to the professional class. You know, business owners, uh, doctors, dentists, and so on. Uh, they, they came in, in waves, okay? It, it was a bleeding of, of, of talent. So that created a, a very unique situation where uh, you, know, had, you know, one of the stories I think I, I, I mentioned in my book, uh, years later when my dad was able to leave, uh, he, again, he never worked, did physical work in his life. You know, he was a landowner. But he did whatever he had to do to, uh, to, to, to make money. So he was washing dishes uh, at a hotel in downtown Miami. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. And one night he comes home and he had tears in his eyes. And you know, my, my, my father was one of the old guard type guys, tough guy, stoic all the time. And my mom said, uh, what's, what's, what's the matter with you? What's going on? It's just, I just found a guy who was one of the top surgeons in Havana uh, that he knew because he had treated his father uh, washing dishes next to me. Okay, and, and my dad stopped him and said, well, I'm so-and-so, I know who you are, what are you doing here? And the surgeon said, you know, I, I have to do whatever it takes to feed my, 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 my family. So uh, those are the stories that, in my opinion, have never been told, have never been told to that point. There's been some attempts uh, here and there. There was a movie called... Uh, Oh, the old city, the lost city in Havana, something like that, Andy Garcia. But it was, I, I thought it was a very poor attempt to, to capture the whole thing. Uh, so that's, that's uh, you know, that's the scenario that I based all, all this, this, this story on. So you have a, a flourishing middle class all of a sudden start to disappear? Say again. A flourishing middle class you were talking about, and a lot of the freedoms Absolutely. that you had disappeared. A, a flourishing middle class disappeared. Uh, disappeared. You, you know, the professional class disappeared. Mm. You know, it's it's funny, Doc. We were talking earlier offline, and we, we discussed, you know, how a lot of people they just don't know the whole situation in Cuba, and, and some people might see the stories of people coming across on a raft, um, you know, and a lot of people think like, oh well. People are trying to get to America for economic reasons or because they want a Big Mac, but that isn't the case. They just, you know, right. like the surgeon right. who's washing dishes, he probably came to the decision, it's communism, or okay. I can go to the USA and, you know, maybe I'll be washing dishes, but I'll be free. Mm -hmm. And he chose freedom exactly. over communism. And it's, it's a message, I think, that we need to push to people today to understand, you know, again, we, we say it here that uh, like Cuba prior to the Castros, it, of course, wasn't 100% paradise. There's, there's always some corruption in okay. governments, but it, it was doing well. It was the best, you know, thing that we have going, and then that was taken. And my, my next part I want to get into, Doc, not to switch subjects, but I wanted to talk about how you got to the U.S. Yeah. I know in your book, um, there's, it's called The Fishbowl. There's a scenario when you were going to fly, yeah. fly out and you're separated from your parents. And I was talking to Joy, my co-host, who's obviously a mom, and we were discussing how, like, you know, you, you were touching your mother through the glass and how ridiculously difficult that must have been. But you want to touch base a little bit on that story, Doc? Of course. Uh, let, me, let me set the background on that. Uh, remember, I, I come from a small town. Uh, uh, nope. We lose you again, Doc? There we go. Talk you there. Come back in. I talked to my dad, and he said, look, uh, your son is involved in this and that and that. You know, I was getting together with friends and talking about <laughs> we were actually planning to, uh, to revolt against Castro and all that, being so naive, thinking nobody knew about it, right, in a small town, you know? And we were, we were really thinking about uh, going to the mountains and fighting Castro and all that kind of stuff. And everybody knew. So this guy who was a friend of my, my grandfather actually came and said, look, your son's involved in that and that and that. Uh, you need to get him out of here as soon as possible because uh, he's either going to end up in jail or worse. So that night, uh, I'm an only child, okay? And that night, my parents decided uh, it's time to get him out of here. 
and we went through months of, uh, you know, I came through a, a program, uh, I guess you're familiar with the Pedro Pan or the Peter Pan program, where more than 13,000 kids uh, actually were sent over uh, by the church, by the Catholic church. Uh, I'm a Methodist, so the Methodist church had something similar. And uh, we came here under the guise of we're going to a church camp and so on and so on. And after we were here, we asked for political asylum, which was lawful. You know, I actually came here following the law uh, at the time. And how, uh, how old were you at that point? I was uh, past 11, 11, 12, around there. Okay. Wow. Uh, and uh, so, so finally, uh, uh, and you know, you couldn't say, my, my friends are asking me, are you leaving, are you leaving the country? And you, you couldn't say anything you, because you didn't know if you said it, who they were going to tell. Mm. So you lived in that kind of atmosphere for months. And finally one night, uh, decided to go to Havana, had an aunt that lived in Havana. And I left in the middle of the night, uh, not being able to say goodbye to my friends at church or anything. Uh, hiding on the on the back seat of a car covered with a blanket and uh, we left to uh, to havana and i stayed with my aunt uh until uh you know it was a scene where every day uh my visa uh exit visa came to the dutch uh consulate okay uh, i took one of the last flights klm flights out of uh, out of havana uh back then in 1961 and, uh, and the scene was, I would go to the Dutch uh, consulate, talk to the contact that, that we had there, uh, and he would come out and say, movie said no, meaning the, the visas were not there yet. And uh, on the streets, uh, all the militia uh, guys with the machine guns and everything, screaming, you know, you're worms, you're vermin, get out of here, so on and so on and so on. You, you couldn't answer, you couldn't say anything. And that went on for days and days and days and days. Finally, one day, uh, I went there, and the contact that we had working on the embassy came out. It's a Cuban guy, and he said, "Follow me." It was like it was like a movie, like a spy movie. Uh, he said, "Follow me." Oh, sorry, everyone. Oh, there we go. Internet a little spot. me you don't know who i am you don't know my name and he got in a car and took off uh i got back to my aunt's uh my aunt called my mom because the town where we lived was about was about three hours away so uh my mom uh, managed to come over and my dad and uh it was like a blur in, in two or three days we were at the airport in havana and uh the, the way it worked, and that's the chapter, the chapter of the segment of the book called The Fishbowl, because it became infamous. The name Pesera, which means fishbowl, uh, became a name, became a, a term that was very infamous to, to kids that were living. Uh, it was an enclosed uh, section in glass at the airport. The flight was at four o'clock, and you went behind the glass at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, all you had was water but you couldn't eat, drink anything. And the scene was most of the people that were leaving, the majority, 95, 96% were older people or kids 
underage kids, younger than I am. There were kids there, 10, 9, uh, being sent out. Because basically what they did, they passed a, they passed a law. It was called Patria Potestad in Spanish. Translation basically means kids belong to the state, not to the parents. The parents have no say on what the kids learn, say, or whatever. Does that sound familiar? Wow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. For today's technical difficulties. Yes. Don't you like it here in Cuba? Don't you think the revolution is great? Uh, so, you know, but I, I, stuck, I stuck to my guns. And no, 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 I'm going to a church camp. It's only temporary. I'm coming back in two weeks. We have camps here. We have revolution camps. You know, no, this is a church camp. And, you know, you, you stick to the, to the script. Mm. You have to. Then on the way out, I see they're bringing a little girl with a doll in her hand. And they thought she was hiding jewelry or whatever inside the doll. They take the doll and they rip it open with a, with a bayonet. Uh, and the girls are crying. And I, I react without even thinking. And I lean over to her and I said, don't worry about it. We'll get you a new one in Miami. They're a lot prettier anyways. As I'm saying that, I get hit on the head oh. by the butt of a rifle. And uh, of course, they're screaming, get back to your seat. You know, don't talk. Uh, so I grabbed the duffel bag and got back to my seat. And the guy that was coming with me, which he was a friend, he's still a friend here, came with me. Uh, he asked me, he said, what, what happened? What did, what did they ask you? And I said, nothing. And my mom was looking through the glass, uh, you know, in tears. What happened? I, I, I couldn't, you know, I told her nothing. You know, I, and that's something that I, that I kept to myself for many, many years. Never Doctor, that. I can't even imagine because I'm a mother myself and I have a, a only child, so I can't even imagine. I mean, a mother watching that through the glass had mm. to have been, I mean, and just the fact that I can't imagine what it was going through your head. I, I can't keep getting back to the fact that when I was that age, you know, Little League Baseball, and if <laughs> I went from one day of playing Little League Baseball, uh, you know, with all yeah. my guy, my friends, and then the next day there's guys with machine guns in my house taking dad's car and taking dad's farm, and you know, like, and then I'm, my mom's saying we have to put you on a plane to wherever. I, I, it's just, it's an amazing. Uh, I give you all the credit in the world, mm -hmm. and then to grow up to become a doctor is even more impressive, sir. So, <laughs> well, that that came later, you know, and, and uh, but but the fact that my parents would rather, because you have to understand that you actually didn't know if you were going to see your parents ever again or if they were going to see you ever again and there were many cases many many cases where that was a case where they never connected again the parents got old they died they were never able to get out they went to jail and so on and so on i mean this this this, this hundreds and hundreds of stories that have not been told that i feel strongly that they should be told in a clear down-to-earth personal way uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote the book, and it's one of the reasons why I, anytime I get a chance, I, I talk about it. Because I think it, it needs to be told. Mr. Producer, I lost audio. For the purpose of saying what I went through, but also for the purpose of uh, don't ever let this happen again to anybody anywhere. And of course, we have historical evidence, uh, you know, the, the horror oh, stories from the Soviet Union, the horror stories from China, the horror stories from mm -hmm. Cuba, the horror stories from uh, Venezuela, uh, you know. So so I, I'm committed to, uh, so fast forward, uh, I got here, we lived in a foster home. The Methodist Church was sponsoring a, a foster home. 
uh, we, we were sleeping in bunks and stuff like that. The food was, uh, I mean, uh, I think one of the stories in the book, uh, my processing day at, at the Freedom Tower in Miami, that, that's what they used it for. Uh, it was in the summer and it was extremely hot and uh, I was dying of thirst. I didn't have one nickel, not one nickel, nothing, not a penny. Mm. And uh, they dropped me at the processing center and when I got done, I walked back to the foster home. It was about a 15 block, uh, you know, in Miami in the summer, in August, <laughs> 15 mm. blocks, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a walk and it's hot. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I have to mention this because I, th- I think they're defining moments in our lives uh, that, that you keep the rest of your life. Uh, and sometimes they don't have to be like big things. It could be a small thing, but it becomes a, a really defining moment. And I think that was one of those moments when I came back, walking on the, on the, without any money, without any parents, without any friends, without any family, uh, thirsty as hell, my, my throat was dry as a, and back then in Miami in the 60s on Flagler Street, where I was walking, they used to have this watermelon uh, uh, kiosk, they sold watermelon juice. They had these machines that, that turn around, you know, with the watermelon juice, and you see this so nice and cold, and it was a nickel or glass, okay? I remember the glass was a nickel, and, and I did have a point walking where I, I couldn't afford it. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a nickel. I didn't have a penny, a cent. That uh, I thought, started feeling a little sore for myself. And you know, the words of my father uh, hit me. And I said, nope, you raise your head and you keep on walking. Okay. Uh, and that's what I did. I raised my head, kept on walking, and I said, screw it. When I get to the foster home, I'll drink water from the sink. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, and you know what? I, I really think that was a, a big, big defining moment uh, in my life. Uh, it's, you know, you, you get the strength, you get the, the strength and you raise your head and, and you keep on walking. Uh, so so I, that, I included that in the book. Had to. <laughs> Had to include it in the book. <laughs> no, I, I actually love that part of the book. So now that you're in Miami at the time, and there, is, there was a large, you know, Cuban presence in Miami when you, were, when you first got there. Oh, yeah, and it was like, uh, uh, hey, you know, you know who, who came over, so-and-so, you know? Uh, yeah, wh- where do they live? Oh, they live in the, in the southwest area. Yeah, let, let's go see if we find them. Yeah. So that, it, was a, it was a totally different uh, type of thing, uh, but it was all temporary. It was all temporary. Uh, you know, don't keep the things in your suitcase. We're, we're in a month or two or three, top top five months, <laughs> we're going back. So I was going to ask uh, you that. So you, you thought you would be seeing your parents soon and it wouldn't be too long until you went back to Cuba. Right. I, I, well, back in Cuba because we thought Castro was going to fall. We thought Castro was going to so, fall. So, Doc, let me ask yeah. a question. So, did the people, you know, you say you got there and there were people like, don't even unpack, we'll be out of here in a, in a, you know, in a month or whatever. Did that eventually start to fade, like after a year or so, oh, yeah. where people like, all right, maybe we're never going back? Yeah, it started to fade, and then uh, wisely, uh, many many of us, many many Cubans said, you know, this may not change. So this is our new life, and we're gonna make a life here. And 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 you know, they, they found ways. They they found ways. You could be a surgeon. You wash dishes.
Sorry, folks. I'll get a little technical. The technical difficulties here. Is that us? Well, the, oh, the, initial, oh, yeah. the wave that came initially had that mentality. They did not have the give me mentality or the government owes me mentality. Mm -hmm. No, there were there were people who wanted to do it by themselves. Uh, I, I don't know if I included the this, this story, but you know, when my mom came, there was nothing. My mom came first, years later. Uh, I, I got to the airport to pick her up. She didn't recognize me because she, she, you know, she hadn't seen me from 11, 12 years old to 16 or whatever. Uh, wow. and, and she walked right by me and I'm oh going, mom, mom. So she turned around crying. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of the things. So she lived in the foster home with us because there was nothing else. There was nothing else. And at the time there was uh, some aid programs and, uh, my mom would not, would not. She denied the AIDS. No, I, I don't want anybody to give me anything. So she started washing dishes. Uh, and she started washing, cleaning houses. She used to clean a house. Uh, you know, we had the church right next to the foster home, Methodist Church. And she was cleaning the, the house of the choir director and stuff like that. And I remember she used to eat dog food because she would be get so hungry during the day and of course no money for lunch uh so she would eat the dog biscuits and stuff like that mm. to hold her until she got home at night and then whatever we had uh and that, that night is what we ate uh you know one of the things uh, we laugh now of course that the foster home uh thursdays was a great day because on thursdays the social worker would come to check the home and on Thursdays, dinner uh, was was better. It was a lot better, you know. And the social worker would talk to us. You boys doing all right? Yes, sir. You are doing good. We were eating. <laughs> and we, we got good food. It's it's now. So my, my next question, Doc, is like you know, as a Cuban, obviously you, you've grown up now. You, you're, you're you've been an incredible doctor. You've actually served in the army as a medic, and thank you for your yes. service. Right. Um, thank you, sir. But. Cuba never, like the Cuba situation, I guess is the word I'll use, and it, it's never really left you. And, and one of the other things I got in your book is um, a lot of people in the United States, especially from my age group, remember the Alien Gonzalez um, situation that happened in Miami. Of course, Alien came over um, and his mother passed away. He, I think he was on a raft or a boat, whatever, something terrible. Uh, he was found floating and, you know, and it became right. a big thing. I know that that spurred you to start, uh, was it a, a radio show? But I, I want to know if you want to just maybe give your opinion on the Alien Gonzalez situation, because that's probably, I would think, amongst my age group, at least, I don't want to say today's kids, but something that, yeah. you know, sparks Cuba in the memory. Well, I met Alien Gonzalez. I met his, his family in Miami. Uh, I've met several times. I met the fisherman, the American fisherman, who rescued him uh, from the water. Uh, so I was really, really involved uh, into the whole, the whole thing. Uh, and it's one of those things where when I saw what was really going on, I thought I have to do something. I, I have to get involved and do something. Uh, and, uh, we got, got together with some friends in Miami, uh, came about the same time I did all that. And we started doing a radio show. It was the first, uh, all English uh, radio show about Cuba. It was called Cuba Today. And we were talking before, and you know what it takes to do a half hour on a main station. 
you know, back then there was no blogs, there was no, no internet, nothing. So this is uh, one of the big stations in, uh, in South Florida. And uh, we had, I think we had two, two or three sponsors. Uh, one coffee maker, Cuban coffee maker, Bustelo Coffee, and, and uh, that, because it was, it was, you know that very well, I'm sure, it's expensive to do even a half hour show. But we, we felt that the message had to be conveyed to the Anglo population bringing the reality of what he was like. You know, Leon Gonzalez, his father had agreed to let him go, okay? He was happy that he was coming here, and uh, the raft, uh, you know, capsized or whatever, his mother died. Uh, and it's, it's funny, you know, the story is, is accurate, that a couple of dolphins uh, actually protected the child. He was floating in, 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 a, in a tube or something, and, and dolphins actually protected him from, from sharks. You know, there's a lot of stories about that. Wow. You, you got to love dolphins, yes, by the way, Doc. You know what I mean? Everyone <laughs> loves do. dolphins serving kids up. Oh, I think we just lost him for again one second. We apologize for the technical difficulties today, but he'll come right back. Doctor, can you hear us? Doc, we it, just lost you briefly. So we were at the dolphins. I'm sorry. It, it, the dolphins and the sharks. Can you go from there? Absolutely. No, I was saying that, that uh, uh, when the raft capsized, Eliane was floating in, in a tube or something, and dolphins actually, dolphins actually protected this kid from sharks. Dolphins are known to do that. Yeah, okay, absolutely. There's a lot of stories about dolphins that they can do that. Uh, and then he was rescued by a fisherman that I met several times. I was in all the... I was in the street and all the demonstrations and all the things and all that, and that led me to join a group that was doing, we did the radio show. It was called Cuba Today. And we basically just wanted to convey the reality because the media was not telling you the reality. The media was doing a narrative. It became political. Uh, and it was like, uh, he started once and back, Castro once and back. And next thing I know, I see, his father with an expensive suit and a private jet uh, flying from Cuba. Uh, and, uh, and I'm thinking, who, who's paying for that? Yeah, nobody asked. Who paid for that? Mm -hmm. who, who's paying for Who paid for the jet? Who paid for that? Uh, turns out that ADM is a corporation that's a multi-billion dollar agricultural corporation that wanted business in Cuba, was supporting that and pay for that and pay for the jet and pay for everything. So... Uh, so it became, a, and, and when you saw the interviews in the media, the national media, it was all, it was all shown as uh, a kid who, who needs to go back to his father. That's it. That's it, regardless of uh, whatever. So a lot of the truths were, were not revealed or they were hidden. And, okay. So that, that was, uh, it prompted me to get more involved uh, into everything and, uh, you know, uh, how old were you when you were on the radio station? Uh, my goodness. Uh, let's see. I, I'm, I'm going on 21 now, so I must have been 10 years old. It's <laughs> 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 a little humor here on the podcast. Uh, no, no, I was, uh, I was in my 40s because this was back in, uh, when was this? Uh, yeah. Okay, so you had already um, been studying to be a doctor and already gone into your oh, career. No, I was, already, I was already working at that. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Correct. Correct. All right, so I, was, I was working at the hospital. I was working at a major trauma hospital near Miami in, in Hollywood, just, just north of Miami. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I was already working, and 
and uh, uh, the service, you know, if you. Wait, sorry, we got a little bit of an internet issue today, everybody, but we'll come right back. He's going to come back in one second as it's been, it's been the. Go ahead, Mark, and then I want to ask on that. Yeah, yeah. I don't like to dwell into it because, uh, you know, so many did the same thing. And to me, this, that was really nothing special. Just wanted to serve my country. Yeah, no, well, it's it's, you, it's amazing. I know that after September 11th, we were talking, and you had been out of the army. You had been in Vietnam, uh, and you had called up to you know your whether it was former army guys you knew or your recruiter saying you know after watching September 11th, um, I, I, I want to go do something. And they they said sorry that you're too old. I believe was the at the time. I was on hold for close to two hours. Okay, when when the sergeant finally came back on the line. He said, my apologies, they have so many calls of people like, like me who wanted to re-enlist. Uh, and then he looked at my records and name and everything, and he said, you're, you're too old. We, we can't take you. Go serve somewhere else, and but you, you cannot re-enlist. I wanted to re-enlist. Uh, me and tons and tons of guys who, who enlisted. But I was already past the age where they could take me, so basically uh, I volunteered for the Red Cross and whatever, but... As it turns out, uh, you know, uh, there was no need for blood. You know, my first thought was they're going to need a lot of blood, and that wasn't the case because people died. There were not that many that were injured. Uh, people just died. So ever since, uh, you know, I have a lot of friends uh, uh, in the service that, that, that went in that time, and they're now out of the service. Uh, I'm getting old. Uh, and uh, they served, they served in Afghanistan. And, but, you know, that's another topic that, yeah, that's maybe for another blog or something, but... We're actually uh, going to be doing an Afghanistan yeah, series we, we coming are. up yeah. after we're done with our Cuba <laughs> okay. one, because it's a... Okay. Well, go ahead. You Doctor, I'd like to go back to where you were talking about um, Cuba making things political and uh, not really hearing the full truth of everything, and you felt the need to do the radio station. So today we hear, well, we were hearing about the protests that were going on, and right. now you don't hear a lot about the protests anymore at all. <laughs> In your opinion, uh, what's fueling the recent protests, and are they still continuing, or are we just not hearing about them? Let me ask you this. Uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. This is a podcast. I should be divulging mm -hmm. information, not asking you questions. But That's fine. Uh, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, when was the last day you heard about Afghanistan? Well, I personally heard just recently. You know, you know what I'm saying? Okay. It's gone. So the, the Cuban issue, the Cuban protest, it's, it's gone from the news. It's, it's mm -hmm. a, a non uh, one of the things that I, that I always, there, there was a famous documentary uh, about political prisoners in Cuba that was done back in the, I think it was back in the 60s, mid 60s or so. Uh, the title is Nobody Listened. And, and the documentary actually touched on the brutality of the political prisoners, what they did to them. Uh, I mean, infamous, infamous stuff that you would think any any decent reporter, any decent station or whatever would be dying to cover stuff like that. And yet, forgotten, not not interest, not interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it isn't it amazing that you know I've noticed that in the last whatever 30 years, 40 years, uh, if the injustice is committed by the left, by communism, it's not that much interest. You know, mm -hmm. okay. No, they, it's forgotten or it's mentioned or uh, there were mistakes made. Yeah, that, that's what they talk about Cuba. There, there were mistakes made. 
but the, no, no, they're they're fine, you know. Beautiful beaches, right? Beautiful beaches, right? So uh, no, no, no. The, the protests that you saw in Havana, they they actually keep on going, except uh, what you don't hear in the news. Mm-hmm. And I know this from from very good sources, people. I know people there that talk to them constantly. That uh, hundreds have disappeared either in jail or, or God knows what uh, through through fear on the streets. Okay. And, you know, one of the things that I actually, you know, I, I called the, uh, the text on the uh, Clay Travis show, which is the old Rush Limbaugh show, and I got through. Uh, so they, I talked to him a little bit during the peak of those protests. And, uh, and, and what I told him was, is one of the, and I'm going to say it here, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of this. One of the things that Cuba does, they have rapid response brigades mm-hmm. dressed in civilian clothes. So whenever there's a demonstration, they immediately, they boss these people there and they infiltrate the demonstrators and, and it's physical, you know, they beat him and all that or whatever. And it shows like it's the people actually rebelling against the demonstrators when they're actually government uh, paid, trained response brigades, but they're dressed in civilian clothes. So, so to the media, it looks like, doesn't look like it's a government uh, uh, being aggressive with the with the people, it looks like it's the people being ag- aggressive with their own people. Uh, that's one of the. It's an all communist tactic that they've used for years, perfected through through the years. Uh, so so that's the issue. You know, I, when uh, Saki went on and said the the protesters in Havana and other cities were because of the the COVID uh, vaccine not being available, I said. Are you? I used an explicit. <laughs> we were talking uh, offline. Yes, that's no, what I heard too. About it. I'm, I'm aware. Of, I'm aware of the, the FCC. I will not use this, this terms, but that's what I use. Uh, I said, really? COVID vaccines? No, there, there were. They, they want uh, uh, sugar. They want coffee. They want bread. You know. Uh, realize that uh, and they want freedom they basically want freedom mm-hmm. they want to be able to talk they want to be able to travel they want to be able to go on the internet and and, and post yeah. okay they want to be able to post things on the internet they don't have access to the internet uh, and that that's what they want nobody gets on a boat and risks their life in the Straits of Florida to eat a McDonald's okay nobody no yeah. no uh, they they come because they can't take it anymore. Uh, would you do that? I mean, would you would you bring your your five year old kid in a raft uh, to to get a, a pair of jeans and a hamburger? No, no, yeah, no, and that, no. and that's the main thing that people I don't think realize is that uh, you know imagine I, I mean I know people like will see it in the news and I would never you know put my child on a raft or put him in that danger. But you've never lived exactly. underneath communism, mm. so you don't understand just, you know, I guess hitting a breaking point, which brings me to my next question I wanted to talk to you about, Doc, is we talked earlier about um, the, the lack of a better term, the, the tourism apartheid, I will call it, I guess, where, you know, people might go visit Cuba now and tourists are shown a completely different world than what the average Cuban 
is experiencing. Like I told you, when I travel to a foreign land, I really want to, I don't want to stay at the Hilton with, uh, you know, yeah. American tourists. I want to stay with the people of the country so I can mm -hmm. see their culture, culture firsthand. And can you maybe touch on that a little bit where people might be confused? Because somebody could have gone to a vacation and stayed in a five-star hotel down there and, you know, been eating great steaks and chicken and think that, like, what are, they, what are they all complaining about? It's fantastic here, but that just isn't the case. Well, if you, if you were if you're a congressman that goes to Cuba and, and you stay at the Malia Hotel, which is like a Hilton, and, and you eat lobster, okay? Uh, oh, one second. Give us one. Doc, you there? We apologize for the internet mm -hmm. today. It's really beautiful. All right. okay. Doc, sorry, we just thought we're having some internet issues yeah. today. So if you were a communist, you're at the hotel, you can get lobster and all that. You're going to think that you're on vacation in Hawaii or something, right? Exactly. If you pay with dollars. Okay. Cuba is based on, on who's got a cousin in Miami. Oh, okay. That okay. sends dollars. Okay. You got to have a connection in Miami that sends dollars. And with dollars, you can buy pretty much everything. Everything you, you could dream of, including expensive scotch, okay? But ten, two blocks down, you have somebody that's been waiting three hours in line for, for, for half a pound of bread. We're not talking the fancy stuff here. We're talking basics. We're talking bread, milk, rice, okay? And so on and so on and so on. Uh, that's what the, the, the Marxist socialist communism system has, has done to Cuba for 63 years. Uh, and, and when I hear socialism, you know, to me, the word is putrid. It's absolutely putrid because it's never, it's proven to fail everywhere. Every, how many people do you think are waiting to get into Venezuela? Mm. <laughs> how many people are, are, are taking rafts from the Keys to Cuba? Yeah. <laughs> It's it's a it's a crazy story, and again, it's I think we discussed it earlier. If it was such a paradise, like you said, why wouldn't people be going back over to Cuba? You know what I mean? It's right. it's just a, now I'm assuming that as uh, while there are communism still still you know running the place, you guys don't go back and visit. Some Cubans do that. Some Cubans do because different reasons because they have family there, whatever. Uh, and yes, there's a, a generation that has never seen Cuba, that was born here, from Cuban parents and so on, that uh, they're curious, they want to see the, the beaches and so on. Uh, personally, I never went back, and I will not go back. Am I curious? Sure. Uh, would I like to see the house where I lived, the, if it's still there, the house where my parents lived? Sure. Uh, but you know, my aunt, my aunt, she passed years ago. She she's went to that house after my, my father left. That house was my, my grandfather's house. And uh, the, the, the government people came and said, this house is big. How many people you got living here? Three? One of those houses is way too big. We need to bring two more families. So they, they forced two more families in the house that used to steal from her and all that. And, and she died and um, my aunt died a totally hopeless, uh, unhappy person. Uh, her daughter committed suicide, my cousin, because mm -hmm. of that. So, uh, so you know, when you hear the word uh, 
equity. Yes. And stuff like that. It's a new popular uh, here. Right. Uh -huh. So, you know, it's a movie I've already seen. It's mm. a movie I lived in the flesh. When you live the movie in the flesh, it's a lot better than reading books. Yeah, and you don't want to see that movie again if you've already lived in the flesh. I don't want to see that movie here. No. I don't th we no. don't want to see it here. No, we I don't, don't want to see it here either. But no. Now, now no. that, I don't want to, just to bring you to a, another little thing I, I got from your book. It, it sounds obviously that, um, you know, and I don't like to put my guests on the spot here, but it sounds obviously, Doc, that you obviously don't like communism, you don't like socialism, but I have to ask, if those are the cases, how could you have been a New York Yankees fan as a child? <laughs> uh, because everybody knows that the Red Sox are on the team and no, no, the Yankees you know, are followed uh, by communists. Cuba, people, uh, most people in Cuba listen to the Yankees games. Oh, well, that would explain a lot. Before, my dad got a beautiful radio. You know, I don't know if you know what they are. That's a radio. <laughs> yes, I do, actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, with different bands or whatever, you know, like five buttons, big, big radio. And uh, my dad used to listen to the Yankees game. Uh, but also, you know, baseball in Cuba, you know that. Mm. Oh, yeah, baseball, totally. uh, professional teams are fantastic. And I think in the book I talk about one of my... Is that his end, though? Oh, sorry, I get one less internet thing. Sorry, everybody, we're coming back in one second. The game, the smell of hot dogs, uh, the, the ballpark, uh, staying at a nice hotel in, in Havana. I mean, those are memories that, you know, that I still have. Uh, that they'll never, they'll never die, they'll never go away. And when I think that's all gone, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's incomprehensible to me. That's why, you, you know, I heard a comment this morning that uh, somebody, I think it was uh, the Sexton show. Uh, they were saying that it, it's amazing how a lot of the people that are protesting uh, the, their kids being indoctrinated in the Virginia school system, oh, yeah. they were not born here. No, I know. It's 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 very amazing that that, that happens. That happens yes. all over the U.S. Sadly, that's what we're doing a series on that and addressing that matter actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, I yeah, have, go ahead. I have one other thing because I'm I have for those of you who are watching, Doctor Fred wrote an incredible book on his experiences called Tarmac. You can get it on Amazon. But as I am looking at the back cover of your book, Doctor, I feel that I must mention to my guests that. You had some uh, guest appearances on a very famous TV show from my childhood, Miami Vice. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because that, that was the show of shows when I was a kid. And the fact that I have, I'm talking to a guest, uh, one of the actors who was on a couple episodes of Miami Vice is fantastic. How did that happen? Oh, my God. Uh, your childhood, huh? Oh, that hurts me. Uh, <laughs> Well, I've always, uh, you know, I'm in this, I play music, I write music, I, I recorded a CD uh, three three years ago or so. Uh, so the arts uh, part of me, that, that's what I that's what I really belong to. Medicine, medicine just was convenient and paid the bills. Uh, but music is what I like. And, and from that, I, I had an agent in the 80s where I was in the hospital, where I was working at Memorial Hospital uh, in Hollywood. And, uh, and the agent called me and said, so you want to do some acting? And I said, sure. I'll do anything. I'll do a gig. A gig is a gig is a gig is a gig. That's my belief. Uh, and and uh, so I went and I read for a couple of parts and they, they picked me. And uh, and then, then I was so surprised when I saw what I made 
for one of the, the, the shows, the Miami Vice. Uh, the, the episode, by the way, is called Heroes of the Revolution. I'm going to watch it. Three, I'll find it. But go season ahead. three, episode 24, something like that. But it's Heroes of the Revolution. When I saw the money, <laughs> they paid me. You know, and I, and, and I was one of the characters in the show. You know, I came out on TV Guide, the whole 10 yards. Uh, I thought, that's it. I can quit the hospital. <laughs> quit the hospital, do two or three things like this a month, and I'm I'm happy. I'm fine. <laughs> but you know how that industry is a is a real tough tough. It's as tough as the music industry. You know, it's. I gotta to tell you, Doctor, looking at your picture on here, it definitely looked like Miami Vice for sure. I was gonna say you got the flowered <laughs> shirt, the palm tree behind you. You 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 fit the role well, Doc. You do. I'm a tropical guy, you know. I'm a beach guy. I gotta tell you, Doc, we're coming to the end of our hour, but before we do, I just wanted to say, um, to me, what the most impressive about all this is, is I'm reading your accomplishments. You know, you became a doctor. You served in the United States Army as a medic in Vietnam. Uh, you know, you were an actor. You, you did all this, but to me, the, the, the story kind of comes to. Uh, it's amazing to me that as an 11 year old, you were separated from your parents, mm -hmm. sent to a foreign land with no money, and yet you still you know, had one of the most successful lives thrived. I've seen in a while and thrived. Yeah. And, and do you think that's a little bit because of, uh, obviously it's your, you know, but did the U.S. help with that at all a little bit? Did it, did it give you a little pep on your step? Uh, let me tell you why that happened. Okay. It's because I believe it's up to me to make it. That's it. It's not the government. It's not the help, and the, the help was there initially, but that's that was fine. It stopped. It's up to me, and and I and I'm thankful to God for this country uh, to live in a place that that offers you the opportunity, if you work, okay, to make it. Is it guaranteed? No, no, it's not guaranteed, but the opportunity is there. Oh, we just lost him for one second. Well, that's definitely what we are yeah, about no, here. That's what we are all about here. Well, in one second, he'll be right back. We apologize again for this today. We're having internet issues. Not from that. That was, that, I, I was, it was beaten into my head since I was a kid, my dad. And that's what, that's why I survived here. Uh, but I was thankful from day one. I, I kissed the ground when I come to this country. I, I'm still one of the guys before COVID. Doc, you there? Doc, you there? Sorry about that. We're having some technical difficulties. This is something minor, but I think it's a big thing. I still stand up to the national anthem and, 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 I, and I sing it. Okay, and I still get teary eyed when I see jets flying overhead at a ball game or whatever. Uh, okay, and that's it's it, this country is it's the most unique country in the world. Period, period, the best country in the world. Uh, and, and I refuse. And okay, this is a statement here. I don't know if you want to get it in the podcast or not, but I refuse. I will fight to keep this country from going down the drain, like I'm like I'm seeing now. No, I, you don't I, have to apologize. You don't have to apologize that. to us. I, I will do the same, Doc. I assure you, we, we both feel the same. But yeah, Doc, we're yeah. coming to the end of our hour. But for those of you listening, 
Uh, we're probably going to have the doc on again because I could talk to you for hours about everything. Well, I'll tell you, doc, we ha do a communism survivor series, and you pretty much summed up what we talk about. Yeah, there, no, so, so we might have to have you on that. Yeah. But today again, everybody, we had Dr. Fred Valdez. He is a doctor originally from Cuba. Uh, he came here when he was 11 years old, and he was just discussing Cuba from when he was there till today. Uh, we are going to have some more guests on soon. Hopefully, do the doctor's going to get us a few of them because he's <laughs> he's obviously uh, very well put in the Cuban community. But Doc, uh, I want to thank you so 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 much yes. for coming on our tiny show today. Uh, it, it was an absolute honor to talk to you. Thank you for your service in the army, and, and thank you for just spreading your message to everyone and letting them know that you know. Uh, the, you know, I know a lot of there's a lot of packaging done to socialism that makes it look uh, attractive, but in the end, mm. it really no. isn't. Mm -mm. No. So God bless you guys. Thank you so thank much you, for coming sir. on today. For everyone who's Appreciate watching, it. you can check out the show on Facebook, on YouTube, on Rumble, oh. on all of the social media platforms, and of course on Podbean. You can go to Siri or Alexa and just say, "Please play the." Printing our Freedoms podcast. I'm sorry, I'm losing it. As um, well as our website as well as at www.ascf.us. And once again, you can get the doctor's book, Tarmac, which we, need, we just went over, but there's more of it we could get into. It's on Amazon. It is an incredibly great read. It, is, it was a really interesting and, and, you know, for lack of a better term, entertaining read. Yes. Obviously, it had some bad parts to it, but the doctor makes it very, very entertaining. So once again, Dr. Fred Valdez. Doctor, thank you so much thank for today. You. That was a blast talking to you. Thank you, guys. All right, we'll see you soon, Doc. Bye-bye. And the doctor's also got another uh, a cookbook, apparently, Alan. He's working on his third book now. But thank you to all our listeners, and uh, please join us again as we continue this uh, Cuba program. 1950s to 1950s the 1950s to today, and we will be starting it back up very soon. Keep an eye out on our social media to find out more. Thanks again, everybody. Have a great week.